Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. Hey gang, welcome into the A Place for My Head podcast. My name is Jerry P. Tuck. He is Brandon Thompson. Thank you once again for letting us uh, keep you entertained and keeping it real with you for, I don't know, an hour or so each week. We really appreciate the love and the feedback that we've been getting. And, you know, really, again, we, I mentioned it last week, it really hits home that we're, we're really doing something positive here that, you know, might be impacting some people. So that's a great feeling. Uh, how are you feeling after last week's show? You kind of put everything out there. Fine. Fine. Good. <laughs> Fine. I mean, it's just my story. Uh, you know, uh, I think I was uh, sometimes reluctant to really open up about certain aspects of it, which I mean, I don't think I revealed anything that was like, oh, my God. Like, but, you know, like there are the uneducated people out there in the world, which I doubt are listening to our podcast um, that are going to, you know, judge, mm. Mm, you know, yeah. like. So that that's always been in the back of my head is a little bit of a fear, but uh, you know what? Screw them. They want to judge. They can judge all day. Good. So to I hell with them. To hell with them. Because you know what? <laughs> I, I, again, you're you're, you're the, the happy guy on the chart, the hot damn guy. Damn, damn. So last week we kind of, you know, obviously, if you heard the show, Brandon told his story and. You know, it it kind of led to the point of me, you know, kind of putting myself out there, and and I have to a point, and I and I haven't to a point, but you know, here goes. Um, you know, we're big on what was your aha moment, and I don't mean aha is in funny. I mean aha is in epiphany. Oh shit! The the oh shit I'm in trouble moment, and the oh shit what the hell's going on moment, and. You know, I've kind of talked a little bit and hinted, uh, you know, about some of the stuff that I've gone through. And, you know, I talked about the way I grew up and, you know, gone through all of that. But, you know, what really and, and I call it my my quote unquote downfall, what got me. Um, and I'm just going to jump straight in. There's no point in having it on here. Um, 28 years old. Um, I'm on the highest rated afternoon sports talk show in the Tampa Bay area, uh, riding high, doing well, kicking ass, uh, pursuing a music career as well. Um, a lot of people may not know, but, uh, in my prior life, I was a singer, um, went through the whole star search thing and it, it was more than a hobby. Um, it was something that was actually going to be pretty supposed to be pretty, pretty big. Um, had a lot of things in the works, um, you know, talked to some people in Nashville, had some things set up. I had actually almost moved to Nashville a few times, uh, to pursue it. So it was, it was something that was actually kind of cool. Um, but 28 years old, um, I was always a big guy, but I was the athletic big guy, you know, played pickup basketball three or four nights a week. I was active, um, Woke up one morning and I had this weird pain in my right side. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I just took an elbow or something. You know, I really didn't think anything of it. A um, couple of days went by, it got worse, it got worse. And my girlfriend, who's now my wife, looks at me and goes, you know, you can't even stand up straight and you can't take a deep breath. Maybe, I don't know, here's a novel thought I haven't looked at. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and we've talked about it before about the whole guy thing. Oh, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm fine and, you know, whatever. And she's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, eh, well, whatever. So finally, it, it got to the point I ended up in the ER because I literally could not stand up straight. And this is where the story begins. Um, the doctor in the emergency room knew who I was because of my radio career. Um, as soon as he saw me, I, uh, he got it in his head that he was going to try to take advantage of a situation. Oh shit. Okay. And, and we'll get into that. So, you know, I explained the situation. I say, Hey, I've got this weird pain in my right side. I can't take a deep breath. And he instantly goes, oh, it's your gallbladder. I'm like, what? He goes, oh, yeah, no, it's your gallbladder. Keep in mind, he hadn't run any tests. Yeah, you can't really. He hadn't like, touched me. Off the cuff. Right. Diagnosis there. And I'm like, I haven't had any symptoms other than this weird pain that I can't stand up straight from. My wife looks at me and I look at her and we're like, okay, he's a doctor. We're not going to argue with him. 
goes, okay, we're, we're going to schedule to take your gallbladder out in two days. So you take the rest of the week off and, you know, you'll be fine. Whatever. You know, you're good. Okay. Literally, this is how it went. I'm like, okay. So, you know, we come back a couple days later for the gallbladder removal, which now I know I never needed in the first place. But at that point, I didn't. Um, and the doctor's like, procedure's going to take maybe 45 minutes tops. Hell, you'll be able to drive home afterward. It's not a big deal. You know, it, this is, I, I do, you know, a bunch of these a week. It, it's minor. It's no big deal. Like, okay, that's fine. So two and a half hours into the surgery. Oh, no longer 45 minutes. Right. Okay. You know, my, my wife and my mom are sitting there and he comes out and goes, oh yeah, the surgery was great. Blah, 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 blah. Everything's good. Keep in mind, a 45-minute procedure that took two and a half hours. Like, uh, okay. So, me being the smartass that I am, you know, I come to in in the recovery room, and I'm joking around because that's my defense mechanism for everything. Mm -hmm. I'm fucking turning into a stand-up comic. Um, You know, they take me out of recovery, put me in a regular room for a couple hours. Doctor comes in and goes, so, how you feeling? I said, hey, I'm great, but am I going to live? Ha, 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 ha. He goes, oh, yeah, you're fine. I'm not even going to put you on antibiotics. So here's what I was thinking. I'm going, wait, what? I said, that's great. But before you get into whatever you're about to go into, why did the surgery take two and a half hours? Oh, no, it was no big deal. Whatever. Blah, 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 blah. Here's what I was thinking. I'm thinking I just opened a brand new practice that cost me $2 million to open. And I think we could do a giveaway on the air and I could do something a little better than handing out boobs I want to give away like a gastric bypass, something that'll really help somebody. What do you think? Wow. Wow. Man, being 15 years in radio, man, it doesn't really shock me. But that's 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 a whole new level, man. Fuck. I'm less than two hours out of surgery. That took two almost two hours longer than it should have. That's terrible, man. I said, and I just looked and went, are you serious? He goes, yeah, you know, I was just thinking, I, I quote, I think I could do something a little better than hang boobs, end quote. This is in, my mom is sitting right next to me. And I just literally, I looked at him and said, there's a time and a place, now's not the time. Oh, shit. You know, we, what's going on? Oh, no, you're fine. Again, I'm not even going to put you on antibiotics. You could drive home. You're good. Okay. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> I don't. You, you you know, but you don't know where this is going. Right. So, I, know, I guess how'd the giveaway was, go? Oh, <laughs> oh, there, there 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 was a giveaway. Um. So I don't know. I guess the surgery was on a Wednesday. It was like a late Wednesday. So we'll we'll say late Wednesday. We'll call it Thursday because it was late Wednesday. Saturday afternoon. This is in March. So the basketball tournament's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, me being Mr. Sports Radio guy, I'm, I'm not a big college basketball guy, but I'm watching the tournament because of work. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, I couldn't breathe. I was like real short of breath. And I'm like, there's something going on here. And, you know, this is on my wife and I, our one year anniversary from the day we started dating. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm like, I, I can't breathe. And it steadily got worse that Saturday. And she's like, we need to take you back to the ER. Something's not right. Right. Well, me and my stubborn pride, I'm like, well, I'm not leaving until after this basketball game. I got to watch the game. She's like, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah, you are. I said, well, then I'm a fucking idiot that's watching this goddamn basketball game. (laughs) So in the length of a basketball game, so figure two hours, it got progressively worse. Right. To the point she called my mom. My mom came over to my place and they both talked sense into me. Get up. Let's go. I was readmitted into the hospital with a collapsed lung. Holy shit. And it turned out that I had a MRSA staph infection inside of my chest. Because what he didn't tell us, and which is why the procedure took almost two hours longer than it should have, is that when he took my gallbladder out, which we later found out didn't need to be done. I was just about to, yeah. He hit my liver. And all of the bile and the crap that's in your liver seeped up into the right side of my chest cavity. It's solidified in my chest. 
So like when you, when your lung, when you breathe, your chest, your chest goes in and out. Yep. Well, it's solidified in my chest. My lung couldn't expand. Mm-hmm. Hence it collapsed. Right. It had nowhere to go. Right. So Damn. this ended up getting worse and worse and worse to the point I was 90 minutes from being dead and I'm not exaggerating here. Um, when they readmitted me, the, the chief of surgery is the guy that readmitted me. Not, and I didn't know who he was at the time. Um, but you know, he's like, something's not right here. I was like, well, no shit. (laughs) The next day, the doctor that caused all this walks into my room and goes, I just want to let you know, there was nothing I did that caused any of this. Keep in mind that thought had never even crossed my mind until then. God. And I looked at him and said, why are you even here? Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to reassure to you that there was nothing that I did that caused what's going on now. Like, mm-hmm. Red flag. Like, oh. okay. Guilt. Okay. Guilt. Exactly. Guilt. <laughs> Exactly. So while I'm in the hospital, things are steadily getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. And I'm a workaholic. So when I wasn't on the air, people knew something was going on. Right. Um, and, you know, Steve Dumig, who I worked with for years, finally had enough of what was going on. And Steve was very much like a big brother, very much father figure, that type. And he knew everything that was going on. One of our drinking buddies was my primary doctor. You know, so we had it covered from a million angles. And finally, he had enough. He goes, watch this. Uh-oh. <laughs> is this where the power And you know Steve well enough to know you. when he goes, watch this. Yeah. So we, went, we were on the air three to seven at that point. He said this to me at like 2.45. And I went, Steve, don't, now's not the time. <laughs> he goes, fuck this. Watch. So at 3.15, he comes out of the break and he's like, you know, I just want to let everybody know what's going on with our boy. And he didn't go into details, but he gave enough to where you knew somebody somewhere screwed something up. Mm-hmm. And Steve just goes to the hospital where he's at. We know. Ooh. And I'm laying there going, oh, God, I don't need this right now. Within five minutes, I had seven doctors in my room. I don't doubt it. Telling me eight different stories. Oh, great. One doctor changed his story twice while he was standing there. Wow. So when I say this is, for lack of a better term, a comedy of errors, it was the perfect storm. I was steadily getting worse and it was getting worse and I was getting worse. And finally, they knew they had to do something because they would, um, you know how when people have like pneumonia, mm-hmm. yeah, when it's really bad, they'll like try to drain it. Mm-hmm. Okay. They tried to drain it. And it wouldn't drain because it's solidified. Right. So they ended up having to crack my chest open with a procedure called a thoracotomy. And I don't know how many people out there have ever had one of these. It's not certainly for somebody at 28, not common at all. Um, It's a procedure done a lot of times for patients with lung cancer where they crack open your chest and essentially take part of your lung out. Uh, Obviously, that wasn't the case for my situation, Um, but the way the doctor explained it was, and and if I'm getting graphic here, bear with, but this is my story, so we're going to go here. Um, Let me me take a step back because I'm missing a step here. Before before this surgery, we knew it was coming about a day before. Um, I looked at my girlfriend and my wife at the time, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call her my wife because I'm going to go back and forth because she's we didn't get Yeah, she's my wife now, so fuck it. Um, and I looked at her and she knew it was bad, but she didn't know how bad. And I looked at her and, and repeatedly through this process and said, look, I don't know how bad this is going to get. If you want to run, run. I don't blame you. And she fought and fought and fought. But the night of the surgery of the thoracotomy, I sent her home. And I said, you know, it's going to be fine. It's nothing major. I knew it was major. I was like, I didn't want her to worry. Naturally. And, you know, I I ran into some problems with this later because my mom didn't realize that I had sent her home. She thought she just went home. Oh, shit. Not to complicate things. Yeah, not to to complicate things even more. But for a long time, my mom thought my wife just left. 
And I was like, down the road, I'm like, no, that's not what happened. But anyways, so, you know, the doctor, they're, they're wheeling me into surgery. And the last thing I remember, I, I jokingly looked at, at the surgeon. And I said, hey, you know, while you're in there, take a little off the top, will you? <laughs> as I, as I'm patting my, and he's like, you're an idiot. So, you know, they do the procedure. It was like a five-hour procedure. I got back to the recovery room. And, I mean, I was, I was literally 90 minutes from being dead. And, you know, the doctor explained it to my mom. He goes, you know, the big, he goes, I- I'm going to s- dumb it down. Not that you're dumb, but speak in people terms. He goes, you know, the big baking pans that you cook like a Thanksgiving turkey in? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. He goes, I filled four of those. Oh, my God. With the infection that was in his chest. I hand scooped it out of his chest. And I've got like a nice eight inch scar mm-hmm. under my, in, you know, my right arm where he literally cracked me open and hand scooped this infection out of my chest. So I was in ICU for two, two and a half weeks. And, and I remember this vividly because at the time I kind of blew it off and, and poo pooed it. But I remember one of the nurses who I got to be buddies with looked at my mom and said, when this is over and done with, he's going to need to talk to somebody. Right. He's going to need to talk to somebody because shit like this doesn't, A, it doesn't happen to people his age, and B, he doesn't realize how close to being dead he really was. Right. He's going to, and I kind of blew it off. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I never followed up on that because there was too much physical shit going on. Right. Um, you know, I was in ICU for two, two and a half weeks in the hospital for a month. I was out of work for three months. Uh, all the while, uh, I was on a drug called vancomycin. If you look vancomycin up, the first thing you see is, quote, drug of last resort. Wow. The infectious disease doctor I had compared it to chemo. Damn. MRSA, if you're not familiar with MRSA, it's an antibiotic-resistant staph infection. It's constantly mutating. So you can feed it full of antibiotics, it's not going to work, which is why I was steadily getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. Um, I was on vancomycin. I had a pick line because that was the way they, they put it in. Uh, a pick line is basically like a long-term IV. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it basically does, they run it through your vein, almost like directly into your heart. That way the medicine medication gets in quicker. Um, I, I had one of those for eight weeks. I was on vancomycin for eight weeks. And, you know, we had no idea the damage. There was no way to know the damage that was done by A, the MRSA infection, B, the surgery, and C, the drugs afterward. Um, and again, I'm kind of giving you guys the Cliff Notes version because uh, there was so much that went on. Um, and I, I, I've never really discussed this publicly. Um and some people believe in this stuff. Some people don't. And, you know, whatever you want to believe, you can believe. I, I don't I don't really care. Um, I remember the surgery. Like the five-hour one? Yeah. I remember the thoracotomy. You're supposed to be out, right? I was. Interesting. I was re-quoting things that were said in the surgery to the doctors after the fact. It was almost, and, and again, I'm going to sound, I know I'm going to sound crazy. And I lived on this. I, I sat on this for seven years. Mm-hmm. I, I never discussed it with my wife. I never discussed it with my family. But it was almost, for lack of a better term, like an out-of-body experience type thing. I knew you were about to say that. I remember, I could, I, it was like I was above. Mm-hmm. And I was looking down on all of it. And I know this sounds insane. I, I openly admit that. But I scared the shit out of the doctors when I was literally word for word conversations that were happening in the operating room. That, that alone should not make it sound crazy. Right. I mean, whether right. you believe but there was, shit like that or not. But there was no reason for me to know all this. Exactly. Which is why they knew I had them. Right. Because they were talking about how things got screwed up. Ah. And I was reciting it back to him. There you go. By the balls. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And I sat on that for a long time because, look, I was 28, prime of your life, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. That's that's where you're supposed to get shit done. Mm-hmm. You know, you're supposed to be successful. You're supposed to, you know, have your fun. You know, you're you're still a kid, but you're not still a kid. You know, prime of your life, and it got ripped. It got ripped from me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I never. I couldn't pursue the music career anymore. It totally went by the wayside. This was in 07. I think I've sung five times since then. Yeah. And that was me. I mean, when I wasn't working, I was, it was my music. Mm-hmm. Anybody that knows me knows that. I just, I couldn't do it. It wasn't the same. And I couldn't figure out why. You know, I went back to work after three months, which sounds like a long time. But truthfully, for where the physical damage and the mental damage that happened was way too soon. Yeah. Way too like soon. Like you came back too soon, right? And, and I came back full time, full bore. Yep. I didn't ease myself back into it. Right. So all of this is going on and, you know, I'm trying to recover, you know, and physically and, you know, weird things were going on like blood. I'd go for blood work one week and it would be sky high. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, I would go for more blood work, the same blood work and it would be flatlined. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a total roller coaster and they were like, well, okay, you know, maybe it's the drugs that you're on because I was, I was on morphine pills for three years. Holy shit. I shouldn't have been on morphine pills for three years, but that's no. neither here nor there. Um, you know, I was on the, the heavy antibiotics at that point, but we weren't getting any answers and I wasn't getting any better. So were you like during this whole time, were you feeling like shit? Oh my God. Pain? I was, I was a zombie. Okay. Uh, I was a zombie. I've got a high pain threshold. Like you could hit me by a bus and I'm, I'm no, I'm not selling it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, that's just how I am. Right. But I was a miserable prick, but I wasn't healing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't getting any better. And, you know, I, I mentioned my primary doctor at the time, who's still one of my best friends in the world. Um, he's the one in the hospital. He goes, look, I don't know what's going on, but if you hear the letters MRSA, you call me immediately. MRSA. MRSA. Okay. He goes, you hear these letters, you call me immediately. That was three days before the hospital caught on to what was going on. So this guy was in tune. Got it. Um. So, you know, I, I went to go see him and I'm like, doc, you know, you've known me forever. Something's not right. I'm not bouncing back. And he's like, well, you know, I, I can't really put my finger on it because everything we've tested for has come back fine. <sighs> There's only one other thing I can really test, but I don't see a correlation here, but let's do it. I was like, okay. So it was like hormone levels. It was testosterone. It was adrenal. And all of those levels were literally non-existent. A 28-year-old guy, they say your testosterone levels should be between like 400 and 900. Okay? 28 years old, probably closer to 900. I mean, let's be honest. Mm. 29-year-old guy, you're you're getting it in. You know what I'm saying? Prime, My My testosterone level was 88. Oh, shit. And he walked in and he laughed. And he was joking. He's like... I just had an 82-year-old guy walk out of here with more testosterone than you do. <laughs> I'm like, okay. He goes, but it's bigger than that. There's more going on. He goes, I don't think it's a, it's not a testosterone level while you're not healing. My cortisol levels didn't even register. And cortisol, uh, if, you, if you don't know what cortisol is, basically that's like your, your fight or flight response. Your, it's adrenaline, for lack of a better term. So like when, when you're amped up and you're like in the zone for lack of a better term and you're like focused and nothing that's your, that's your, your, uh, adrenal system. That's, that's adrenaline. That's cortisol. Mine was non-existent. If you don't have cortisol in your body, you die. Damn. Like literally like it's that bad. So that led us down the road where I, you know, we were talking last week about, I could relate to the, the overdoses, the, the dosage of the medication mm-hmm. because, okay, he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a, you know, we're going to start you on 30 milligrams of, of hydrocortisone and I want you to go see an endocrinologist. I want you to go see a specialist. Like, okay. 
So the, the hydrocortisone worked. The blood work started bouncing back slowly, a little at a time, and then it would quit working. So I'd start feeling better for a couple of weeks. I'm like, okay, maybe we're finally on top of it. And then it would quit working. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're going to up it to, to 45. Okay. It would work for three or four weeks. I'd go back after six. Quit working. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to up it to six. And this, it was a vicious cycle, a vicious cycle. And, you know, think about the roller coaster effect that it has on your body. Taking, taking out, you know, the, the depression issues that I had going into this and the issues that I had long before this ever started, the family issues, my childhood, all of that kind of shit that we've talked about before. Now throw this on top of it. Throw in the, the physical, throw in the mental, throw in the, the weird out-of-body bullshit, whatever the hell that was that I went through. Right. Because for a long time, I, I basically called it survivor's guilt. Mm. Because had I been a little old lady or a little kid, I wouldn't have survived that. I, ha- I literally, I, I had doctors look at me and go, I have no idea why you're here. You, right. you, you should have been dead. Mm. And it's like, how do, you, how do you process that at 28? I don't know, man. You know, and so, so that played a heavy role in the mental side of things because I had all the depression issues and all the issues I had before. And now you throw a near death experience in on this and anything that could go wrong did right along the way. I, I, my wife literally almost got into a fist fight with one of my doctors because this doctor looks at me and goes, it's in your head. Uh-huh. Nah. my wife lost her shit and then I ended up in the doghouse because I later apologized to that doctor mm. she goes oh, f- what the fuck was that yeah I can imagine that guy deserved it to this day it's been what almost 13 years she's still hot about that and I'm like look I had to do what I had to do at the time Yeah. at that point I know you were hot I know you were defending me and my god whatever I just had to feel better. I mean, shit, I would have laid out that first doctor when he wanted a giveaway. Just saying. Well, there were lawsuits and there were other things. That guy ultimately ended up moving and closing his practice that he had just opened and moved about 100 miles south of the Canadian border to try to avoid this. Eh? <laughs> He's a dick, eh? Yeah. Just, and all the way through everything, he was just this arrogant fuck. Mm-hmm. I, and you know, I didn't do this. Really? Okay. Really? But anyways, so, uh, you know, the, the up and down roller coaster of just, uh, just think about like, even when you, when you have a cold or the flu and you start feeling better for a day or two and then it hits you again, the toll it takes on you. Now with something like this thoracic surgery, I literally, every morning and every time I looked in a mirror, saw this eight-inch scar under my arm. To this day, I still see it, and it takes me right back there. I couldn't escape it. And it was like living in a prison. Because no matter what I did, and, and I'm one of those people, if I screw up, I'll own it. If I screw something up, it's my fault. It is what it is. This was something totally out of my control. And I'm a control freak. If I can't control it, there's going to be problems. Yep. And even now, there are days that I feel utterly useless. And, you know, as a result of all of this, and after, shit, probably 22 doctors. 22 doctors. I've gone through at least 22 doctors. That's a fucking All of them... Oh, you've got this. And then the next time I go in, they'll go, oh, no, you have this. And it was the complete opposite of the first thing they said. And it's like, well, I can't have both. It's one or the other. And so, yeah, obviously that person had no idea what they were doing. So I'd switch doctors. It's so troubling because they're doctors. Exactly. Fuck. <laughs> oh, it's, it's in your head. No, it's, it's, it's not, definitely not in my head. So to, to make this long story short... 
what we figured out now is that it triggered some autoimmune diseases that weren't even on the radar because nobody would have known to look there. Um, you know, the big one I deal with is called Hashimoto's, which basically in layman's terms, your immune system attacks your thyroid. Now, anything, anybody that knows anything about your thyroid knows it regulates all of your body chemistry, which would explain back then why, well, your levels are sky high this time, but the next time they're dipping down low, it was a roller coaster. Autoimmune diseases are normally triggered by whether it's physical trauma or, you know, something along those lines, something, something fairly traumatic which, is what triggers which it. clearly went through. Right. I had no idea that I was susceptible to this stuff. And I've got some other things going on autoimmune wise, too, that we're still trying to figure out. But your body's not going to heal if the body's chemistry is jacked up. So when you take the amount of steroids that I was on for years, you take all of the medication that I was on. At one point when I was in the hospital, they literally just looked at me and went, you've got an open bar. What do you want? Oh my God. I've only ever been stoned once in my life. And it was on Dilaudid through a pick line. Oh dude. I've, yeah. I've, I've been in the hospital and I had to take that stuff. Dude. That shit is crazy. Oh, I'm sitting there. <laughs> True story. I'm sitting there. It's probably nine or nine thirty at night when they, when they gave it to me. And God bless my mom because she was working, her and my wife both were working full time and spending as much time as the hospital. They were doing shifts just because they knew what was going on and they didn't want to miss something that I might miss. Right. So <laughs> I'm sitting there and they come in and give me the delighted through the pick line. And literally my mom's like, it was like somebody flipped a switch on you. Mm-hmm. She's like, you just got this glazed look and all of a sudden you just lifted your hand up in front of your face <laughs> and started wiggling your fingers. <laughs> she goes, and it scared the hell, it scared the hell out of me. So I went to the nurse's station because they'd never seen you like, that. and I looked at her and went, something's not right. So the nurse came back in and looked at you and went, Oh, honey, enjoy the ride. <laughs> so it's like little stories like that that you look back and kind of laugh at. But, you know, and, and again, I'm totally giving you guys the Cliff Notes version because we, I could talk for days on this. Um, but, you know, when, when, when you put all of it together and, you know, we've discussed the childhood issues that, you know, I had growing up the issues with my father growing up, you know, the, I, I lost four people to cancer when I was in high school, one each year. And my mom took, my mom and I took care of each of them at home till they died. You know, I never learned that self self care trait, right? You know, I had a car accident before that, that I shouldn't have walked away from where I rolled an SUV three times. I was standing there when the cops showed up, go figure. But, all of it put together and then your entire life changes in the blink of an eye. Yep. You never know. And it's like, how do you rebound? How do you regroup? How do you rebuild when you're not recovering and you're not healing? It's like so discouraging. It's beyond discouraging. Yeah. Yeah. And yet three months later I was back to work I was back on the air, back in the studio, back to my grind, working 80 hours a week because that's what I did. I had to always put on a happy face while I was a suffering, miserable prick because I couldn't figure out how to fix it. That's frustrating as hell in and of itself. It was like being in your own personal hell personal yeah and and you know those closest to me outside of my mom and my wife i would always get why are you living in the past let it go you know all of this stuff happened years ago why do why why does it still affect you and it's like you guys have no idea yeah, because no you're, I mean, you're not 
hundred percent healed. You're still going through after but, but all that shit. But but they don't know that. They don't know that because I'm back to work and I'm back grinding and I'm not. I, I'm I'm back. Should be back to where I was. Oh, and you're putting on the. I'm Happy fine. Face. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, even you know, and I, I'm very blessed. Because, you know, my wife's family is pretty close to us, you know, and, but they had no idea the extent of what was going on. Right. Because I didn't want the world to know. So for, like I said, I, you know, March will be 13 years. This is the first time I've ever opened up like this. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people still look at it as, well, you're painting yourself out to be a victim. Like, no. I don't, I don't even see an angle there. Now, here's, here's something cool that came out of this. Is This is back in 07, so this is the days of MySpace, okay? Ooh. Good old Tom. Yeah. We like Tom. Tom was everybody's friend. Yeah, he was. He was in your top eight. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of bounced around in that eight, I'm just yeah. saying. But the cool thing was, and this is where I learned a lot about what we're doing now and how I've tried to approach everything else in my life since this. It turned into a joke with the nurses in ICU. And, and I don't say this as I was somebody important or somebody fam- I because I sure as shit was not important and I wasn't famous. I just happened to have a high profile job. People knew who I was. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. Well, somehow, about a dozen of our listeners found out the hospital I was in. Mm. And we have no idea how. I, Steve never said, you know, it was never discussed on air for legal reasons. But listeners would call in to the ICU ward to check on me. Wow. And it wasn't like, it was, it was legit concern. Yeah. And, and you know this from your radio background. Mm-hmm. You, you don't think about the impact that you may have on people's lives. Cause we look at it as a job. Yeah. You don't look at it as the fact of, you like, know, people get to know you without right. you knowing that they're getting to know you. Well, and it's, it's Steve and I always joked. He's like, you were 19 when you started. Mm-hmm. People watch you grow up. Yeah. The first time you got shit faced. <laughs> we made a four hour show out of it because it was with me and Allstott, Mike Allstott from the box. Mm-hmm. We took you out. We made a six-week bid out of it, knowing we were going to fuck you up. People yeah. watched you grow up. Mm-hmm. And I never, re- I never thought about it like that, but he's right. And, and that's why I'm always so open and transparent now. Because while all of this was going on, you know, I, I'd give updates on, on social media. And then one by one, I'd have people reach out to me and go, I know it's different. But this is what I'm going through. Mm, sort of like what we've been doing here. Bingo. Yep. It's different because obviously, you know, this is what I have and this is what I'm dealing with and this is what you have and this is what you're dealing with. But how are you getting through it? Exactly. I'm like, I, I don't know. And they're like, well, this is what I'm doing. Try, you know, see if it, see if it helps you. Right. And I've probably got a dozen friends that could walk up and hit me in the face and I would have no clue who they are. Because you only speak because to them. I know the voices Yeah, from being on the air and I know their words from messaging. Right. I've never met half these people in my life and they know more about me than, than some of the closest people in my world. But it was being relatable. Yep. They're like, hey, I get it. You're not the only one. And that helped a lot. I still dealt with my issues, but that helped a lot. And that's why ever since then, that, that clicked with me. I'm like, if you need, you need to connect with people. You need to, you know, and that's why I'm so open and honest and transparent. And it bites me in the ass sometimes. And I get it. And, and a lot of people misconstrue it. A lot of people think, well, you're being a victim and you're doing this and you're doing that and you're living in the past. Let it go and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, I'm not. You don't get it. And these people didn't know what I've been dealing with because, a, frankly, it's none of their business. 
But B, they just assumed everything would be okay. Yep. Well, they're not educated. So this goes back to what I said about having the survivor's guilt. I knew I shouldn't have walked away from it, but I did. So now on top of dealing with all of that, I'm looking at it going, why am I still here? Almost like you don't deserve it or something. Yeah. Why? What's my purpose? Mm -hmm. Why am I still here? You know, because of all of that, I have got a shit ton of trust issues. I can only imagine why. I mean, right. But this is the stuff that people don't think about. Right. Right. Yeah. Because of this, I have turned into one of the most cynical fucks you'll ever meet in your (laughs) life. I, oh, oh, but the problem is I never saw that I was turning into that. Mm -hmm. I never saw that change. And it finally manifested back in 2013 when it it just all came to a head and I reached a breaking point because I was still dealing with all of this. I still wasn't healing the way I should have been. Now I'm on 120 milligrams of fucking steroids every day. That's messing with my head and messing with me physically and messing with everything today. No, at At that point. Yeah. At that point. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, no, I stopped those steroids cold turkey, like done, which yeah. was the worst thing I could have done, but I did. I had to for my sanity. Yeah. But in, in summertime of 2013, I had all of this shit going on. I was questioning life, questioning my existence. Work had turned to shit. You know, there was a bunch of office politics that uh, you know don't need to be discussed but a lot of things going on and, and i was in a job where it was every man for themselves and you know people started infighting and it just it got bad and with the role i was in the position i was in i took the brunt of it which fine whatever but that was weighing on me and i woke up one morning and i was like i'm done i'm done i called out of work I'm like i i can't do this anymore the moment the aha moment and i was sitting at home my wife was at work you know and my mom and i are close i I talk to her a time or two every day just because she's the only real honest god family i have um and i subconsciously i had called basically to tell her goodbye And I was sitting there with a bottle full of muscle relaxers and I was done. So I called her, talked to her for 10 or 15 minutes and she could tell something wasn't right. She Mm -hmm. she could tell hung up from her. She called my wife and goes, have you talked to him? She's like, no, but I will. And I talked to my wife and, you know, had that conversation and hung up and, was sitting there looking at that pill bottle 45 minutes later, knock on my door, my mom, Mm -hmm. she knew she knew mother's intuition. (sighs) She knew I was done. Right. And you know, she ended up leaving to work. She just, she knew something was off and she knew I wasn't right. And had she not shown up, I probably wouldn't be here. Because my wife showed up about 10 minutes after her. Mm-hmm. Had they not shown up, I, I probably wouldn't be here. And that was my aha moment. Right. And outside of her, well, outside of them, my, my mom and my wife, and God bless this friend of mine. And I, I want to have her on the show at some point. Um, you know, she does a lot of social work and a lot of work with DCF. Uh, yeah, I grew up with her. I mean, when I say grew up, I mean, we go all the way back to kindergarten. We lived a block apart. Wow. I picked up the phone and said, look, I need to talk to you. This stays between us. This is where I'm at. Here's what's going on. This is what's gone on. I need to talk to somebody. And within an hour, I had an appointment with, with a therapist that I saw for about a year and a half. And I was, I, I never took medication. I, I, I've, I don't want to say I was lucky not to have to go through that. So like last week when you talked about the medication, that was, I, I get it, but I, I obviously couldn't, road. yeah, that, that wasn't my experience. Right. But 
you know, that's, that's why I wanted involved with what we're doing because I know there are a lot of people out there that can relate to this, Mm -hmm. that can relate to my story, that can relate to your story. And because ultimately we all end up in the same fucked up place Yeah. of God, I just went out of this feeling, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and about I, how you got there. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm totally giving you the cliff notes version. I, I could write a book that would make Stephen King cringe. Mm. The, the doctor, look, the doctor that caused all of this walked in after the thoracotomy. Now I'm allergic to adhesive. So like adhesive tape, band-aids, simple shit like that. Uh, don't ask. I don't know. I'm weird. Hopefully not sutures because they, they've got adhesive. Oh, really? Yeah. So like even now you take a bandaid off and it'll take the skin with it. Oof. Right. So they basically had what they called their wound care team taking care of the incision site, which also ended up infected with MRSA and all of that. So I'm laying on my side on my, on my left side with my right side up, my arm up so they could, you know, treat the, the wound under my arm. Mm-hmm. And this fucking doctor, man, walks in smug as can be. And keep in mind, I have my head buried in a pillow because I'm two days out of having some dude's hand inside of my chest. Go figure. Yeah. And this son of a bitch looks down and goes, wow, a thoracotomy. I've never seen one of those before. That looks like it hurts like a motherfucker, doesn't it? God, this piece of shit. That Brandon, that's a direct quote. That's fucked up. There, the mistake he made, the wound care nurse was standing there when he said it. She heard him say it. And she literally went, did you just say what I think you said? And he just turned around and walked away. That nurse went to the CEO of the hospital directly. Awesome. 20 minutes later, the CEO of the hospital was in my room. Jesus, man, the story. It, it's insane. It is insane. And, and it's, it's almost unbelievable. And, and like I said, very few people know what really happened. Right. And, and like I said, you know, because of my job, a lot of people know me. A lot of people think I just vanished because right. I quit going out. I distanced myself. I have quote unquote friends that I haven't talked to since then. Mm-hmm. I get it. Because... I'm not the same person I was before. And the problem is I deal with, okay, well, if I'm not that person and that's who I was for 28 years of my life, who the fuck am I now? Mm-hmm. Who am I now? Because everything I knew got ripped. Right. It was ripped from me. Mm-hmm. Everything I had always worked for. So, in my life, that was now the third time that I was literally starting over from scratch. You know, the first time, you know, I'll call it when I, in high school when I was losing all of the, the family members and shit because I missed out on a lot of the, the fun high school stuff, whatever. You're 18. You want to start your own life. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. That's starting over number one. When my parents divorced, I was, I was 22 or so. But everything I had... I was saving to start, you know, to get my own place, to this, to that, to the other. Well, when my mom finally left my father, everything I had went to make sure she was safe. Right. So literally we went probably three weeks, four weeks where we had nothing more than one change of clothes and a pillow. At one point we were practically living out of our car that one of my old bosses said, I know what's going on. Here's a hotel. Yeah. But Outside of that, nobody knew what was going on because I couldn't present that. Mm-hmm. So that's starting over. Number two, built myself up, built my career up. You know, I had a lot of people that had big plans for me radio wise. And I know that I, I was mentored by some pretty incredible people. And you know, my music thing, I had fronted a couple bands. We were getting noticed. You know, I talked about the Nashville thing. I I had a gig set up where I was going to be a demo singer to get my name out there a little bit with some record labels and some songwriters that I'm friends with up there. Gone. It's terrible. The night, the night of my thoracotomy, I was supposed to be singing in 
charity event that was to raise money for a pediatric cancer foundation. It was like a local event with local media people and this and that and the other. It was fun. I mean, we ended up raising like 10 or 15 grand the first year and like 30 grand the next year. But the night of the Thoracotomy, I turned Bay News 9 on locally here in Tampa and they're doing a piece at the event that I was supposed to be singing at that I helped organize. I was on the board to help organize this and I no showed and nobody knew what was going on. And I looked over at my wife and I said, I'm never going to sing again. Damn, man. That's. And so I've lived with that because my career and my music were always my identity. Well, I'm not those things anymore. Not that I can't sing. It doesn't feel the same. Right. Because I've always done everything on emotion. And like you talked about last week when you said, you know, when you were on, on, I think it was the Wellbutrin mm-hmm. and you said you just didn't feel anything. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, it made me batshit crazy. I fucking hated it. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's exactly how I felt for 13 years. Oh, so I, I've always, I, I, I always wrote, I, I, I would you know, write songs, write this, write that. I would sit down in front of a piece of paper Nothing. and stare. Yeah. I, I couldn't put it into words because how can I make somebody else understand if I don't understand? Right. If I don't get it, how can I make somebody else get it? All the while, I'm watching what this is doing to my wife because she sees me day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And my God, this woman, I, I don't know. Uh, there are literally days I look at her and go, I don't get it. Why are you still here? <laughs> and, and, and I'm not just saying that. I, I'm yeah, serious. No, I understand. I'm like, you deserve better than this. And then she smacks me in the back of the head and we go on. But, right, right, you right. know, yeah. Uh, I don't, this is hard for me to talk about because it's, it's, it's me, but you know, we're open and transparent and this is what we do. But you know, people that I really respect and people that I've cared about a lot through all of this, I've pushed away Mm -hmm. and you know, it's tough because like I said, you want people around and you want people to understand, but you don't know how to make them understand yet. You want people around, but you don't want people around and you already didn't feel like you belonged before all this happened. Now put this in on top of it and put on top the, the survivor's guilt and trying to figure out who you are and, and, and where you stand and, you know, trying to put your world back together and you have no answers. And, you know, when I, I did the, the interview with Sharon Feckety a couple of weeks ago, you know, she goes, so how do you cope? How, how did you figure it out? And I laughed. I went, you're implying that I did. Right. I'm like, I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And, you know, that's why it's so important to me that, I can take what I've gone through knowing that there are people. And again, I'm not naive to think that, Oh my God, it was the worst thing that ever happened because I'm still here. I'm still upright. I'm still breathing. You know, like, like Chris Thomas, one of my mentors, local guy here in Tampa used to say before he passed everyday vertical, everyday vertical. If you're vertical, you can get something done. Like it's true. So, there are a lot of people out there that have had it much, much worse than me. Trust me. I, I get it. I totally get it. But if I can take my experience and help even one person. And I think over the last 13 years I have, because there's, there's one of my Facebook friends that I I won't mention by name. A couple years ago, messaged me went, Oh my God. And I knew this guy in past. It's not like we were friends. Mm-hmm. He goes, I've got MRSA. Damn. It's like, okay. He goes, I'm dealing with all of the same stuff you did. And once it triggered all the shit with me again, right? Because everything like that does, I was like, okay, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to look out for. You know, 
you need to talk this out because it's going to mess with your head. And I'm here. Right. I, I get it. I, I understand more than you think. And this has probably been four or five years ago now. And we still talk almost on a weekly basis because he's dealing with the same kind of depression shit mm-hmm. that I am after all these years. And, you know, that's what it's about for me at this point. Right. You know, if I could give everything up and try to help people with this, I would. You and me both. But doing this and thinking that we connect with the people that we want to reach means a lot to me. And like I said, I'm sitting here and I'm getting like emotional talking about this shit because there are so many times that I shouldn't have walked away and I did. And I'm still sitting here questioning why am I still here? Yeah. You are. But why? You're supposed to be. Okay. But that doesn't work for me. Why? I know. I know, man. And you know, you, when I say that, you know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. But it's like, okay, where do I go from here? All the meanwhile, people are chirping that they don't understand what's going on. Right, right. And it's like, it's like, it's like that, that cat and mouse game of, of when you first start dating somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's like... Oh, I want you here. I want you here. I want you here. No, go away. Go away. Go away. Go away. Oh, no, yeah. no, no, no. I want you here. I want you here. No, go away. Go away. Go. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, don't be afraid to go see somebody. Mm-hmm. And seriously, and I, I can't stress this enough, and, and I've now sat here and rambled for almost an hour. Um, you know, if anybody out there needs somebody to talk to we're here 100 percent. and this is why when i saw what brandon was doing with with a place for my head.com i reached out and said i need to be a part of this so that's my story and you know like i said it, it's a cliff notes version and you know i i could write a book that would make stephen king blush And, you know, to this day, I'm still pretty messed up from it. And I don't think that's ever going to change. It's been, March will be 13 years. And I still deal with all of the same mental health issues that I've dealt with forever. The only difference is I'm not ready to check out yet. And I'm still trying to figure it out just like you guys are. So when I say that we're not professionals and... We're not experts and, you know, we're just telling our stories and talking from experience. Guys, this is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Everybody's story is different, but it's all relatable somehow. So sorry that, you know, this, this episode is kind of dark and yeah, we're not joking around and, you know, normally I, you know, I, I try to keep things as light as possible, but you know, Exposing yourself like this, it's not easy. No, I've been, you know, we've been talking about it for for a long time now. Yeah. And that moment just, you know, yeah, naturally found and, its way. And I, I'm pretty guarded about things in my life. I, I'm open and transparent, but I'm guarded as well, if, if that makes sense. But I, I genuinely believe, had it not been for my wife, I, w- I, I wouldn't be here right now. And, it. you know, anyways, that's... Uh, enough of me rambling I you know yeah so that's my story next week uh, I know next week we want to talk about something that that Brandon has been talking about for a while to me away from here and that's the whole online therapy thing Mm -hmm. you had an experience and you want to talk a little bit about the process and and I think it's a great idea I think it's a fantastic idea but maybe the execution of it yeah, it could be a little bit better. Yeah. But we're, we're going to talk about that next week, and, and I promise we'll have some laughs in the process, too. So uh, that's it for this week. Uh, he's Brandon Thompson. I'm Jerry P. Tuck. And, uh, you know, thanks for letting me ramble for an hour. I guess I didn't think it was going to take that long, but uh, I thank you for giving me your ear. So until next week, guys, don't forget to hashtag get it out.
Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles and DJ Eakin, news and political pundits like Vincent Hill, and independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crushell. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.